0: All right. Praise the Lord. I appreciate those songs. I stand here thinking, as we sing through the ages of how marvelous and how wondrous the love of God is, I wonder if anybody here this morning is not on their way to being part of that. Uh, I hope, if that is you, that uh, by the end of our service, the Lord would shed his light upon your soul and show you his love and give you the faith to trust in his son as the only way uh, to be part of that number and I pray that he'll use uh, the Word of God here to make it very clear not only how but why that is so urgent this morning would you go with me again Romans chapter 2 Romans chapter 2 last week we began chapter 2 of Romans and we went verses 1 through 11 And I tell you what, we're going to start this morning with a little bit of a review. Certainly cannot re-preach that message. Definitely want to start with a bit of a review. And so much so that in a minute I'm going to actually reread verses 1 through 11 to get a running start on verses 12 through 16. So our main text today is verses 12 through 16. Let me ask it the other way. How many of you were here last week? So if you were not, just kind of keep your hand down You were here. So, a good many were not here last week. um, And you're able to be here this morning. Let's let's dial in right now. All right. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, show us what your word has to say to us uh, today. So, watch this. Last week, one of the things we noted is that a person who lives this life, but they never surrender to the Lord, and they wind up in hell in the next life, and I know some may be thinking, man, here we go again, another heavy message. It is another heavy message today. But if a person lives this life, rejects God, does not surrender, and they end up in hell for eternity, here's one thing we noted last week. Often that happens because they made three, catch this, major, major miscalculations. Three major spiritual miscalculation I mean they really blew it they honestly thought this they may have never said this but they think it in their psyche it's really built in the way they live life they have assumed this but then they wake up in hell and look back and realize there were major miscalculations I'm gonna tell you the first one we're gonna read the first three verses of chapter 2 here's the first major miscalculation people often have here it comes yeah I'm not perfect Okay, I do commit sin, and I even feel bad about it. But here's something you need to know. Others are worse than I am. And that's a major miscalculation. Yes, I've sinned, I'm not perfect. But hey, others are worse than me. And that matters, right? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Before we read verse 1, last week we started with a little game that I called, Does It Irritate You When?, and we had nine things that we looked at. Does it irritate you when this and this and this? And it had to do with other people doing things. And believe me, I promise, if you were here, you would have said, yep, that irritates me. Yes, that irritates I went nine for nine because it was my list. It was my list. Can't go over it all again today. But you know full well people do things and it's just wrong and it gets under your skin, right? Look at verse number one. Here's the major miscalculation a lot of people have. Hey, others are worse than I am, verse one. Having come off of this really horrific, vile list of sins that really kind of starts back in verse 21 all the way through verse 32 of the previous chapter Paul starts chapter 2 verse 1 this way therefore you have no excuse yeah hold on I, I don't do all of those things but Paul says inspired by the Holy Spirit therefore you have no excuse oh man every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things as chapter number 1 finishes with. Yes, they're going to get what's coming to them. We know that, right? Verse 3, do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Here's the first kind of summation. Here's Here's what Paul is saying. If you have ever in your life spotted another person and said they did wrong, or if you even didn't know, but you're calling it they committed sin, if you've ever done that once in your life, you're guilty. Here's why. Because a small sample of a few moments of looking at their life, you spotted it, and that shows, oh, you do have the ability to spot sin. Well, yes, I can spot it in a heartbeat. Well, then you should see it all through your own life. We're not really good at seeing it in our life, but, boy, we can spot it in others. We read that list in chapter 1. It's like, man, that's terrible. And often that there's different versions. I I'm, I'm tempted to re-preach last week's message. Here it is. I only did it once, or I didn't do it as bad as they did it, or I haven't done the worst ones on the list. I've only done the mild ones on the list in chapter 1. Second major misconception starts in verse 4. Here it comes. You ready? This is a big one. This is a big one. First one, hey, other people are worse than me. Second one, it'll always be like it is right now. That's a lie. For no one in here, if you're sitting here this morning saying, hey, it'll always be like it is right now. No, it will not. Verse number four, Paul says, or do you presume, to presume means do you take for granted that it will always be? Verse four, do you presume on the riches of his, of God's, kindness you look at your life and say yes God gave me that that the very breath I had the food I had the job I have the income the people that I love the ability to walk and see and think and all these things do you presume that his kindness and forbearance and patience do you presume on it that it will always be there I don't have time to re-preach that message but I do need to hit the word forbearance it's important watch this Paul's saying do you assume that the forbearance of God will always exist here's forbearance Two sides are warring against each other. This one started it, but they're small and tiny and weak. But they picked a fight with a powerful side, a powerful army or person. And this person is absolutely going to destroy them, but they call. The powerful one calls for a truce. Here's why. Please, man, just surrender. Repent. Stop. You are going to lose your life. You're going to have a horrible eternity. And so God... Rather than bringing wrath right now, is showing kindness and he's forbearing and he's showing patience. That's how long the forbearance lasts. We never know how long it does. Paul says, do you really presume to think it will always be like it is? Hey, God must be okay with my sin. He's not doing anything. That's a lie. You're believing a misconception. Things will always be like they are. No, they will not. Verse 5 but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're actually storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And in verses 6 through 11, the third major thought last week was this, big miscalculation. Hey, God, God's love is going to make him go soft on my sin, right? Remember, I'm not as bad as others. It's not always going to be like this. Oh, no, it will not always be like this. Eventually, the forbearance and patience will run out. But even then, Surely God will go soft on my sin because he loves me, right? Verse 6. This is the Bible. This isn't Jeff. He will render to each one according to his works. We learn we're going to be judged by our deeds. Now, we admitted that verses 7 and 10 in particular are very controversial. And they seem a bit confusing. I can't go over it all again. Go online and listen to that message, but please, let let me, let me say it this way. Verse 7 and 10 are not ways where Paul is saying you earn your way to heaven by working for it or by being good or by stopping sinning. That is not what happens. Verse 7 and 10 are simply two inevitable actions. It's a description of inevitable actions when a person gets saved. Catch this. Nowhere here is Paul saying this is how to be saved. What he's saying is when a person is saved and God evaluates their life, This is what he'll see, verse 7. To those who by patience, the idea of continuing, enduring in well-doing, seek for glory. Those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory, God's glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. They don't get eternal life by the well-doing, but because they've been saved, the well-doing in their life continues, and he says they'll get eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath, this anger of God against sin that is filled to the brim, that is running over, that has reached a fever pitch. Fury, which means the outpouring, the final, when it does come, the wrath and anger of God against sin will come swiftly, and catch this word, we, we emphasized it last week, relentlessly relentlessly it will never stop and you'll think surely at any time it's gonna stop no it will not stop it will be the fury of God against sin why because verse 9 says there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first Paul why are you mentioning the Jews he says the Jew first. you mean they can go to hell the Jew first if that's the life choice they make reject Christ and also the Greek But, verse 10, he comes back to the good again. But there'll be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Again, they're not working their way to heaven. But because they got saved, good works are evident in their life. Again, he says, the Jew first and also the Greek. Why does he do that? Last review from last week. Here's why. Because the Jews actually had the audacity to say out loud what a lot of us often think. And that's what we've been talking about. Hey, I'm the exception. I'm exempt. God's not going to judge me. It'll always be like it is. Others, he's going to be busy judging people worse. They've done really bad things. Hey, don't get the wrong idea. I do sin, but I'm not bad like those really bad people. Okay, you're fooling yourself. They said it out loud, and they were wrong in it, and Paul's bringing up, saying, hey, yeah, the Jew first and also the Greek. Why? For God shows no partiality. So with that in mind, verse 11 is going to tie right into this week's passage. Verse 11. For God shows no partiality. And if you thought last week was a little confusing, this week does get a little confusing. I'm going to read it slowly. I'm going to try to put the emphasis on the right syllable, okay? Here we go. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law, they don't have the Bible. They never saw a Bible. They've never heard anything about Abraham or Moses or Jehovah God or his son. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And that just described a huge percentage of people in the history of mankind. And all who have sinned under the law, okay, they did have the Bible. They will be judged by the law. So this group of here, I didn't have the Bible. Okay, you're not going to be judged by that. These over here, they sinned under the law. They're going to be judged by the law. 4 verse 13. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. I listened. I heard it. I showed up. It's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when, uh, here's a clarification because it gets kind of confusing. What about the people? They don't even have a Bible. For when Gentiles, that's that group that represents them, they've never seen a written law of God. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, when they by nature, by human nature, do what the law requires. Hey, how did you know that was wrong? I noticed you didn't do that and you felt like you should do that. Paul says, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. But I never read it. It was written on your heart. While their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts. Accused. Oh, I feel bad. Or even excused. I feel good. I feel like I did the right thing. All of that's going to brought it to be evidence. Verse 16. On that day when according to my gospel, Paul says... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's our text today. Mainly verses 12 through 16. As we look at this again today, I want us to notice three thoughts. Catch what I'm about to say. Those of you working your hand out there in the bulletin, you'll notice, man, this looks like kind of the same sentence. Yeah, we're going to start with a three-word sentence, and then we're going to build out the same thought a little further. And then by the time we finish, we really the message is one sentence today we're just going to break it down into three parts and let it keep expanding I am not injuring the passage when I say the following I believe and several others and some maybe didn't mention it verse 13, 14 and 15 possibly are parenthetical statements which means verse 12 and 16 are the main thought of the passage Verse 13, 14, 15 kind of clarify the main thought of the passage. So I'm not doing any harm to the scripture. We're going to deal with 13, 14, 15. But would you just kind of let us read 12 right to 16. We can do that. Look at verse 12 into 16 and then we're going to notice three thoughts today. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's give four quick thoughts under this one heading. Ready? Here's the first heading. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. That's what's so clear from verse 12 right into verse 16. There's the main thought of the passage. Judgment is coming. Now let's notice four thoughts. Number one, judgment is certain, and God is the judge. That's kind of the first thought. That became very clear. If you were to sit down, like I try to encourage people, read the Bible, not just one time real fast, read it slowly, multiple times, and you would all agree. Say, well, this is very clear. Judgment is very certain, and it's obvious that God is the judge. Second thing you would notice is this. Judgment is set for a specific time at that day, and it doesn't mean a 24-hour day, but it is a specific time. You're going to see that in some passages we're getting ready to look at. You'll see it multiple times in the passage. There's a specific time already set aside. I don't know when it is, but it's a lot sooner than it was when Paul wrote this. I think it's coming pretty soon, even as close as possibly 1,007 years from today, maybe. You say, that's a long time. No, that's not really that long. But judgment is coming, number one. It's certain God is a judge. Two, it's a set specific time. Third thing, I want you to just let your eyes look very quickly at verse 16. I could bog down here. I always like to point out something when it comes up in a passage because it's all through the scripture and it's so important that you need to know. Y'all help me out here. You have a note that says, uh, What's your next note? Is it something about Jesus? Okay, watch verse 16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Who's doing the judgment? God's judging by Christ Jesus. Okay, wait. God's judging, it's a set time, it's sure God is the judge. God's judging by Christ Jesus. Okay, you don't have to be super smart to realize then Jesus is God. Write that down. I always like to point it out. It's very important. If we didn't believe that doctrine, we'd come across verse 16. We'd be very confused. Okay, I thought God was judging. Right. But Jesus. And that leads to the fourth thought, kind of springing off of that. Jesus is the final judge. Jesus. I emphasize that. You say, right, I'm going to stand before God one day. You're going to stand before Jesus one day because Jesus is God. I want you to notice, uh, you don't have to flip through. I will myself, but notice the next passages that are going to be on the screen. I think we have Matthew 28. You've heard this before. Look at Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, watch this. This is going to reinforce what Paul wrote about in verse, six, uh, verse 16. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Acts chapter 10. I'm gonna read this portion Acts chapter 10 here is Peter is preaching this time so Jesus has all authority Peter is preaching in a Gentile's house and he's saying he's telling Cornelius hey Cornelius Roman military officer God moved you from Italy over to Israel and you've been hearing about Jesus well guess what verse 39 we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem they put him to death by hanging him on a tree But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We were the ones that God allowed to see him, and we're the best ones to witness because we knew him. It's the same Jesus that was crucified. Watch verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So Peter says, I have a job, I'm supposed to be preaching that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Yes, he was crucified, he rose again, he's the specific judge. Acts 17, watch this. Paul is now preaching, this is not Peter anymore, it's Paul. Whole different preacher, same exact message. He's preaching down in Athens in Greece. And he's talking to these people and they want to know his message and watch verse 30 of Acts 17. Paul says, the times of ignorance, man, you, you, you Athenians, you Greeks, you're very religious. You have a lot of idols all around town. And the historians tell us there were 30,000 idols in the city of Athens. And Paul's walking around. He says, man, you guys are really religious, but you've blown it. You have one over there that's marked to the unknown God. I want to tell you about the unknown God. He's the creator God. I want to talk to you about him. And then he ties it in. Verse 30. The times of ignorance, all your idolatry, God overlooked. That doesn't mean he's not going to hold you accountable. It means he's been patient and forbearing until now. But watch verse 30. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, which man? How will we know which man's the final judge? Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's the one that he rose from the dead that's Jesus one more passage John chapter 5 this time it'll be Jesus' own words again John chapter 5 as his enemies are opposing him because he dared to heal a man on the Sabbath day verse 21 of John 5 here's what Jesus says for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will whatever the father wants to do he does whatever the son wants to do but the son always does the things that are pleasing to the to the Father, verse 22, the Father judges no one. So everybody, hear me this morning. You're not going to be judged by God the Father. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Son, whatever you say goes. You, you're the final judge of it all. That he, that all, I'm sorry, may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. Let me give you a real quick thought. Ready? I think it was Matthew Henry who said, Nothing should speak more terror into the hearts of sinners or more comfort to the hearts of saints than to know that Jesus will be the final judge nothing should speak more terror to the sinner than to know Jesus will be and there are people in hell today they literally they don't they don't they've never heard this they're there today and they're gonna get out and they're gonna stand before Jesus Who? him that's my final judge no I blasphemed his name I spurned his love somebody told me he loved me but I never reacted to it not him I lived in opposition to his nature I just I, I wallowed in sin he's oh I don't stand a chance now the saint those have been saved they were sinners themselves but God gave them salvation and they had the faith just to receive it well they take great delight now who's my judge Jesus my best friends my judge I like that. I don't know about you, but if you're ever going to have to go stand before the judge, I'll, I'd like my best friend to be my judge. So the question comes up, I wonder if Jesus, wait a minute. Father, I have all to say, everything, whatever you say, it's, that's what's going to happen. And I think some people honestly go through life thinking, Jesus is just going to kind of at the end just say, hey, everybody gets in. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something, he has all authority But he will honor the holiness and the righteousness of God. He will honor the justice of God. No one who has not put their faith in Christ will get in. Only those who put their faith in Christ. Now somebody else hears this and says, okay, wait, Jesus, whatever he says goes. I mean, what if he he does his own thing? What if he says, yeah, I told you all that you were going to be saved, but you kept sinning even after I saved you. So nobody's getting in. And the father goes, son? what are you doing you said I have all of them no one gets in because they kept sinning even after I saved them and I got sick of it can I tell you something he will honor the father's love and grace and the father's veracity all that he told would have eternal life they will get eternal life in John chapter 6 verse 37 Jesus says all that the father gives me they'll come to me and he that comes to me I will not cast out I promise I'll not cast you out thought number two this morning as we go back to Romans judgment is coming, that's our first thought look at verse number 12, for all have sinned without the law, all that have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law second thought, judgment is coming to all it's real simple, so we're just building this thought, judgment is coming judgment is coming to all verse 12 just covered every human being who's ever lived but we can take a moment, I won't have a long time to do this I'm going to just read quickly The New Testament makes it clear that the judgment of God, because it's much more clear in the New Testament as it alludes to what the Old Testament had been teaching all along. And now we realize there's actually two separate times of judgment. And one happens before the other. And it's actually two different groups of people. You see your references in your handout. Would you go if you want to follow there? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And what we find here is the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment is coming to all, and it's actually in two phases, the judgment seat of Christ. Man, I'd love to give the background here, but just suffice to say this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and there's a lot of division. So what's the division? Well, Paul started the Corinthian church, but a guy named Apollos come after him. So Paul started it, moved on. Another guy named Apollos, a great preacher, probably a little more dynamic, He comes and the church grows even more. And Peter apparently comes by and some other great preachers. And as a result, everybody's got their favorite. Well, I like the founding pastor. Well, I like the second guy. I like the third one. I don't really care for that. I like this one over here. And so there's all this division. And so watch what Paul says, verse number 8. He who plants, you know he says, Apollos, me, these other guys, we're just planting and watering He who plants the seed of the gospel and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. You ever wondered this? You ever been here? Lord, I've told a hundred people about Jesus, and not one of them got saved. And Lord, I told those people about Christ, and somebody else tells them later after I've told them, and they end up getting saved under them. Why don't I ever get? It's like you're planting seed; just be faithful. And then someone else says, yeah, but I've been building on what they've done and I just keep telling these people about Christ and I'm not there. Somebody else actually reaps. Here's Paul's point. It doesn't matter. All the increase is up to God. The the final time when they actually get saved, that's up to God. You know, last week we had two people who came to Christ in the service. I thought it was one, but it was actually two. Okay? It's not just last week. It was investment of people in their life. No doubt many people, hey, the Bible's true. And seed was planted and planted and watered and watered and watered and watered and and eventually last week they got saved so watch what paul says verse 9 for we're god's fellow workers me and apollos and peter and all the others you're god's field you're kind of like a field or you're kind of like a building you're god's building that's what the church is according to the grace of god given to me like a skilled master builder i laid a foundation So he's talking about a building here. What's the church like, the Corinthian church? It's like a foundation. I laid the foundation. I'm the founding pastor. I started it. I'm the missionary. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, by the way, I am right now building on foundations that Paul has laid. Paul has laid foundations. I cannot stand up here and tell you what God says other than me reading what was given to Paul. And so I'm still building on the foundation that Paul has laid. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, my Bible there, the day is capitalized. It's talking about that appointed day of judgment. For the day will disclose it, what they've been building with, because it will be revealed by fire. Boy, some knuckleheads believe, based on passages like that, we've got to go to purgatory and burn off our sins. That is not what this is talking about. Okay, This is talking about when we stand before the light of Christ and he evaluates our life. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work, Christian, you ought to pay attention here, If the work, the the work you've been doing for the Lord, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives that day, the light, the fire, the evaluation, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Remember that and go over to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, don't have time to get a lot of the background here, but Paul's talking about living in this earthly body versus the body that is to come 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 he actually gives us the name of this verse 8 yes we are of good courage and we would rather Paul says we'd rather be away from the body Paul is not scared of dying he's looking forward to dying would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord so whether we are at home which is here in this earthly body this one this tent or away which he just said is better Either one, we make it our aim to please Him. Why? For we, we, you Corinthian church, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me make something real clear here real fast. Good or evil. Uh Uh-oh. As a Christian, I'm going to stand before the Lord And all of y'all are going to, and I'm going to be brought forward, kind of pushed, stop pushing. Well, it's your turn. And there's going to be this huge screen, and all my sin is going to be on display, and all of you are going to be looking at all my sin, and I'm just going to be doing That is not what this is saying. You say, but it just said good. Here's the idea. Worthy work or worthless? Good or evil here is not like wicked. It's like that's worthless. That is good. That is gold, silver, precious stones that frankly was wood hay straw it just didn't last you say what does that mean as a christian once we're saved we begin to serve the body of christ and serve and serving the lord and as that we serve the body of christ and we're going to be evaluated how you did it if you did it to make your name great wood head stubble won't make it if you did you said boy my motive was good i was just actually saying the wrong stuff i didn't study enough and i was out there telling people the wrong things but boy i was zealous i meant well wood, hay, and stubble but if you're actually telling people the truth and building up the body of Christ and your motive is Lord I want you to be magnified it isn't about me gold, silver, precious stones that will be evaluated and that will determine your place in the thousand year reign it's very important I want to encourage you Christians let's build the church up with our efforts by trusting and relying on the grace of God the power of God not just doing fleshly ministry but ministry that pleases the Lord and in His power and that will pass the test, and you'll be rewarded for that. So here's, here's a quick note. This judgment at the judgment seat of Christ is for the saved. It's to determine rewards. It's like an athletic event. You, you know, you got the Russian judges judging the, the ice skating, right? They always give Americans low scores. right? So it's the judge who sits up there. Jesus Christ will evaluate our life, and you'll be rewarded accordingly. It is not to determine or punish sin. It's not to revisit sin. You say, well, what happens to this person's sin? Do we have Colossians? I think we do. Colossians, look at Colossians 2. And you, you say, How do I know I will not face as a Christian? I'll never face my sin again. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So when Jesus rose again, that counted for us. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. How does he just forgive? By canceling the record of debt, sin, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You say, what happened to my sin? Watch. All your sins written out, written out. Mine had a really long, really long list. It's nailed to the cross of Christ. The blood of Christ watches over that list and washes it all away. There is no evidence against you. I, I can never be punished for my sin. So this is not a like, ooh. I'm going to have to I'm going to be so embarrassed no here's the motivation live your life for Christ with the right motive and the power of the Holy Spirit so that one day you'll be rewarded so that you can serve him in a greater way and give back to him those things that he gives to you that's the first one you say there's another judgment Revelation 15 we find the great white throne judgment Revelation 20 this is after the thousand years of the millennial reign, Christ on earth there's one final rebellion as the devil is loosened and he apparently sways some to join him as one last big fight against Christ but this time God the Father, Jesus doesn't even have to fight God the Father just sends down fire out of heaven and they're destroyed and then it is now the last judgment that day, verse 11 Paul says, then I saw, I'm sorry, John the revelator says then I saw, guys this is a real event by the way I need to read it with gravity. You need to hear it with gravity. Verse 11. John, literally looking at the future, he sees it unfolding. And he's writing it down. I saw a great white throne. Him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. Literally, they're standing on nothing. It could be people here this morning. This is literally your story. John's writing it before it's even happened. He wrote it 2,000 years ago. And it's going to happen in the future. For somebody right now, as you sit here this morning, this is what you're headed for. There is no place for them to stand. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were up. John, I see books. Lots of books. And the books are being opened. What's in the books? It says, I saw books open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. They are going to face their sin. Every one of them will be played out. The day is not 24 hours. There is no rush. Time is suspended. We are now into eternity. Verse 13. The sea, John says, I see the sea, gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades, death and hell gave up the dead. So you say, people will get out of hell. Yes, they'll get out of hell to stand before Jesus Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that one book, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment is coming. Judgment's coming to all. It'll be either at the judgment seat of Christ for those who have received Jesus as their Savior or it will be the great white throne judgment for those who refused. Back to Romans number three, very quickly. I told you we're building out a sentence. Here's the sentence. Fair judgment is coming for all. Fair judgment is coming for all. Verse number 11, for God shows no partiality. Fair judgment's coming for all. Here's something I want to impress upon your mind today. God is the almighty judge. What that means is God's almighty has literally all the power. We have none. So this is important. Hey, guys, God does not have to explain himself to any of us. I don't have to explain myself. But in verse 11 through 16, he does kind of tell us some comforting things. Here's what he's saying. Listen, I don't have to, but I want to tell you, I will judge everyone fairly And I will not show partiality to anyone. Here's what that translation means. Here's what that means. No one will get, God's saying, rest easy. No one will get to heaven because of who they are. Well, I'm Jewish. No one will get to heaven because of who they are or what they've done. In fact, I could say this. Catch the subtle. Many will not go to heaven because of what they've done. But no one who does go to heaven will be there because of what they've done. Say it again. Many will not go to heaven because of what they've done. But none who do go to heaven will be there because of who they are or what they've done. The point of verses 12 through 16 following is this. This is important. All people will be judged right where they are. Right where they are. You're going to be judged where you are where they are but what about this person that's not really fair oh they'll be judged right where they are by the standard they had they'll be judged god said don't don't worry i'm going to be fair you know the unfortunate thing every man when judged by his own standard where he is still ends up lost because how's that possible chapter number one paul brings this heavy case against the wicked man who realizes there's a God, but I don't like God. I'm going to do away with him, and I just want you to leave me alone. And they love their sin, and so they go full throttle into wicked sin, and God abandons that person, and we see what happens. I've talked about it often recently. I don't I want to do it again, but it's bad. So then in chapter 2, it's as though Paul sees a lot of moral people looking at chapter 1, and he says, whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, now let me answer your questions, your objections. Here's kind of the first objection we hit last week. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa Paul. But if others are worse than I am, am I still guilty? Yes. Next week, hey, whoa, 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 Paul, 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 Paul. that's a bad list. If I'm a Jew, come on, am I still guilty? Yes. I'm going to talk about you in verses 17 to 29. Also in verses 9 through 11 already. But today's passage, it's this person. Whoa, 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 that's a bad list. What if I didn't know any better? What if I didn't know? Am I still guilty? So Paul is going to take on the age-old question. He's going to give us God's answer. Here it comes. A lot of people don't like me saying this. I'm telling you, it's not my message. I wish this wasn't my message. But he's going to answer the question, what happens to the person who's never had a Bible and they've never heard Jesus Christ? You just said earlier, before our Gideon representative got up, Brother Welcher, you just said that the only way to become a Christian is by putting our faith and trust in Christ. What about the, not millions, but billions of people who've never heard the name Jesus? They literally don't have a Bible. What's going to happen? Is that, is that fair? Well, he's going to answer that question. We break it down into two parts, this third part, third question, third statement. Okay, first point under that one. The pagan are treated fairly. Rest assured, the pagan are treated fairly. Verse number 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Catch what I'm about to say. Ignorance, this is across the board. This just isn't in church. This is not even just God's courtroom. Ignorance of the law will not save anyone. Ignorance of the law, when broken will not save people. It will not absolve their guilt. Hey, they're not guilty, right? They didn't know. Watch this. It will not cause the penalty to be abated. Hey, they didn't know. Surely they're not responsible for the penalty of breaking the law. They didn't know that was the law. Hey, guys, listen. I'm going to borrow from David Platt and just paraphrase. You ready? If people were excused and saved because they didn't know the law of God, think oh whoa i didn't know you, you never read a bible no sir you never heard the name jesus i promise well all right all right you get to go to heaven now if that's the case shut down missions don't tell anybody about jesus don't print another bible because they automatically go to heaven because they get to claim ignorance how does that work when you get a put over for traffic violation My first two tickets, I don't have time to tell both. First one, 1986, newly had my license, 16 years old. I got a 56 and a 45, and I'm thinking, this guy pulls me over, and he says, you know how fast you're going? I said, I think. He says, you're going 56. I'm thinking, come on, really, one mile an hour? I was in a 45. I didn't know I was in a 45. Second time was December 1988. Deanna and I are freshmen in college. freshman. She a sophomore. We had permission for me. We left my, went to my parents, and then we left for my parents going up to Philadelphia to her parents, it was Christmas break, I remember that day, it was sunny, it was cold, it was December but boy, we were making good time we were heading out of Asheville we were going to go, we were on I-40, we went down this mountain there, if you've ever been going east of Asheville, called Old Fort Mountain we're at the bottom of the mountain, man we got our our southern gospel music cranking up we're just having a good old time on a Saturday morning nobody's in our way, we're just cruising along, and if God pulls me over, I'm like, come on I, I'm doing the five, six mile an hour over thing. You know, I'm doing 72. I will admit I was doing 72. He says, you know how fast she was going? I, yeah, I think I know how fast was, was I going. He says, you're going 72. Yeah. I'm thinking he's going to get me for six, seven miles an hour over. He says, uh, yeah, that's uh, X amount of miles over speed. He said, you know you're in a 55. Oh, no sir I said it's 6-5 he said no he said you, you literally didn't see the flags they even had the flags on it was a change I'm like what he said I don't know he said I've been following you for two miles hoping you would stop I wanted I was pulling for you you just kept on I had to pull you over guys I honestly I was I didn't know man I really didn't know he still wrote me a ticket I still paid a penalty now he was nice he reduced it from 72 to 69 but I still paid a ticket Why? Ignorance of the law does not negate the penalty or the guilt and it certainly doesn't save you and automatically make you innocent. But here's the problem. Here's the real problem. You know what Paul is saying? Paul's teaching that no man can really claim complete ignorance. Nobody can really claim complete ignorance. Look at verse number 15. It kind of gives us the clue. Verse 15. Let me back up and read 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is saying, actually, this person who says, I've never read a lick, not one verse of Scripture. It just wasn't available to me. They're still found guilty. Here's why. They have two things. Number one, they have a conscience which tells them, do what you have been taught to do is the right thing. So everybody has a conscience. It says do the right thing. Do what you've been taught is right. The second thing we have is an instinctive knowledge of right and wrong. Everyone has an instinctive knowledge of some of the basics of right and wrong. I wonder if we have a historian, a history buff in here. Uh, I'm thinking of a law code that predates Moses. Moses' law code was written 3,500 years ago, but the historians, the archaeologists, let us know there was another law code actually was written before Moses wrote his law code. It was written by a man named what? Hammurabi. So wait a minute. Hammurabi's law code looks a lot like the one God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. I wonder if God took Hammurabi up on a mountain and gave him that law and made a covenant with his people. No. Hammurabi and his people literally just worked out and pinned down or etched out, however they did it, or scratched the law that was literally written on their nature. Yeah, but it looks a lot like, right, it's the same one. God built those people, it was in them, and God had Moses write it down word for word with more things that would be...